Support for Starting Small comes from Human Scale, the leading designer and manufacturer of high-performance ergonomic products that help create a healthier work life. All of the products from chairs to standing desk and more are comfortable, easy to use, and sustainable, and great for either the office or the work from home environment. With an increase in shifting workplaces, comfort can be especially hard to find. As I run the podcast, I'm in front of my desk for hours a day, from scheduling, researching, interviewing, and more. Human Scale allows me to remain productive without the consequence of body stress to follow. Make sure to check out Human Scale at humanscale.com and use code STARTINGSMALL at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. That's code STARTINGSMALL at humanscale.com and enjoy the episode. Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Michael Weistrack, founder of Freshly, fully prepared meals delivered fresh and ready to eat. Freshly was built on Michael's personal mission to find convenient and healthy meal options for his fast-paced life. With Freshly attracting massive demand, Nestle acquired the brand in 2017 with Michael remaining CEO. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Mike Weistrack of Freshly. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Happy to be on. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Yeah, I grew up in uh, southern Arizona. <clears throat> I grew up on a cattle ranch, uh, tied. I have a twin brother, youngest of six. Uh, very entrepreneurial family. Um, so not only did we have a ranch, we had um, a restaurant that my parents bought when I was one month old. Um, and my dad had multiple different businesses, was in real estate. So it was a pretty active life. Um, it was in a small a small neighborhood, though, or a small community in southern Arizona. So there's only 500 people in our town. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we, we grew up, um, I think, you know, it was, it was a great childhood uh, with, you know, a big, strong emphasis on entrepreneurial background. Mm. Yeah, for yourself, would you say that you had an entrepreneurial mindset as a kid, say, lemonade stands, products, or did you get to help out your parents at the restaurant? Yeah, I mean, so... Um, I didn't do any of the kind of traditional lemonade stands or anything like that in that there was no neighborhood to kind of sell uh, mm-hmm. lemonade. But uh, yeah, we started working in the different businesses from you know young age. So I mean, one with a ranch, those of you who've grown up on a ranch or a farm know that uh, the minute you can start helping, you start helping. So your chores kind of were assigned from, from the get-go. So early mornings, uh, late nights helping around on the ranch. Um, and then, yeah, around 10, we started working in the restaurant and doing different things there. So I think we grew up with a really strong work ethic. And, and I think my parents empowered us to um, be a big part of the business. So not only were we able to work in the businesses, but my parents gave us a say and different things and, and let us kind of, uh, you know, our opinions mattered. And, and we were part of kind of building and being part of all the businesses. Mm, that's amazing. So I saw you went on to study at the University of Arizona in 1998. Uh, what did you study there? Yeah, so um, went to uh, a small Catholic school for high school in Arizona uh, called South Point uh, in mm. Tucson, Arizona. Mm. Um, and from there, went to the University of Arizona, also located in Tucson, Arizona. So um, mm. I ended up uh, joining the business school there and then majored in finance with a minor uh, in econ, I'd always really dreamed of being on Wall Street. I never really knew what Wall Street really consisted of or, or yeah. what it meant. But my dream was to be uh, an investment banker. Um, mm. So the the track for that was finance, and and I really enjoyed that major. I thought it was, um, you know, it's 
for me is I think having a business degree and, and certainly I think finance, but probably more importantly, um, accounting is kind of a really, really strong background for any entrepreneur, anyone who wants to get into business. Accounting is kind of the language of business. So mm. the better you can understand accounting and finance, uh, you know, again, it doesn't matter what you do, uh, anything business-wise, those, those will come in come into play. And so, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta really understand kind of how PL's cash flow balance sheets work. And mm. that was a huge benefit for me as I went on in multiple different aspects of my career. For sure. With your time at the university of Arizona, were you involved with any uh, clubs or athletics? Uh, I was a member of fraternity. Okay. So Phi Gamma Delta. Um, and then I was a member of a few honorary society clubs. Um, and different groups that that I uh, that I helped participate in some Greek functions and stuff like that. I I, I will have to admit um, my college uh, was spent what Arizona is known for. Um, I, I I didn't take college seriously until my last two years. I, I had a lot mm. of fun in the first two years. Yeah, got it. So following college then and prior to Freshly, um, what kind of jobs were you working? Yeah, so right after college, um, I went out to California. I worked um, doing actually uh, mortgage brokering. I worked for a, a small mortgage brokerage firm. Um, second, probably to the most recent, um, uh, the last two years, it was kind of the peak boom demand for mortgages. Um, so it was, a, it was kind of a cushion, great job to start off with. But again, I had that dream of being in, in Wall Street. So at the time, kind of... Uh, Post um, 2000, the millennium, you had a kind of stock market crash. Um, it took about three, four years for banks to start hiring. So I graduated in 2002. At the time, most every bank was on a hiring freeze. So I took that job doing mortgage brokering. Uh, but I was really persistent. I spent the um, better part of 18 months um, emailing a guy who gave me a kind of courtesy interview when I was uh, graduating college. Um, worked for a bank called Thomas Weiser Partners. And I emailed him every single week for 18 months straight um till well mm. finally he he had a job opening and he said hey it's in new york you got to interview um and it, don't send me another email so wow <laughs> i took that job um working for tom i ended up getting hired and uh moved i was on i was living in at the time newport beach and in, in california um got hired they told me if i wanted the job i had to start two weeks so literally packed up everything I owned in two duffel bags or gave everything else away that would have fit in two duffel bags. Um, moved to New York and slept on a guy's couch for a better part of three months as I took the job and, and found a place to live in New York. So um, wow. worked doing investment banking for a few years and then decided that um, while I dreamed about doing investment banking, realized that corporate America was kind of not right for me. So mm. I left to do a bunch of entrepreneurial stuff um, in between kind of that and founding Freshly. Amazing. I saw that in this uh, journey here, you actually, you, you took over your family's restaurant. Is that correct? As owner? Yeah. So we, so my family, we expanded upon our restaurant. We had one location, uh, which still exists down in uh, Sinoida, Arizona. And we decided to do a second location. I partnered with my parents on that second location. Um, and we launched that in 2008. So that was yeah, I was doing a bunch of different entrepreneurial stuff, and that was one of the things that we launched was uh, that second restaurant. We probably, short of, again, COVID-19 here, it was mm -hmm. probably the second worst time to open a restaurant. Um, uh, right, at, It was right in front of the recession. Um, mm. So we opened that in 2008, and um, 
it, it was a struggle uh, almost from day one. Ah, uh, yeah. So, I mean, as a kid working with your family's business at the time, you don't really obtain the expertise that you do when you did at this time as the owner. So I'm curious, in the food industry at this time, coming from investment banking and your other entrepreneurial ventures, uh, what did this teach you, the food industry specifically, leading into Freshly? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, so I think I learned a lot of lessons. Um, I call it my most expensive MBA. Um, I think, I, you know, one, I think one of the things I always tell people um, is I've never seen a business plan fail on Excel, right? Every business plan works on Excel. Mm. Um, the problem is, is when, when reality hits, um, a lot of the assumptions you built in a business plan or um, just don't come true. And I think, um, you know, so it was, it, it, I think one of the first lessons it taught me is, is to really, really pressure test assumptions in a business plan. Um, make sure that they're realistic based upon kind of, you know, what's happening around. And, and again, I think it's just easy to get really optimistic when you're starting a business. Um, I think the second thing was, is make sure at the core of whatever business you're doing is something you love. Um, I think while I love food, I think a restaurant was not kind of right for me and my personality. Um, so when times got tough, it got even tougher because, um, you really had to lean into um, something that you know you wouldn't be spending your nine to five if you if you uh, if you got to choose. Um, but yeah, I think I mean, and I think the, the the last you know some of the positive lessons that I learned is you know hiring great people is will make a massive impact in any business um, and really understanding your numbers. I think at the end of the day is is just knowing all of the details of a business. Um, and how that flows into, you know, your P&L and cash flow and balance sheet is mm -hmm. really, really important. And I think it's a good discipline for, for young founders to, to, get, um, to get to know or young or old or first-time founders. It's, it's just knowing your numbers is key in, in success in business. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Mike's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, Sullivan Steakhouse. If you guys are traveling the country or looking to host your next business event, Sullivan Steakhouse has the top food and service around. So I visited their Indianapolis location and I have nothing but good things to say. The staff, the food, the overall environment, and most importantly, the experience was amazing. Highly recommend Sullivan Steakhouse and make sure to check them out for yourself at sullivanssteakhouse.com. That's sullivanssteakhouse.com and enjoy the rest of the episode. So leading into Freshly in 2012, uh, what problem or opportunity did you notice leading you to start a ready-to-eat meal delivery service? Yeah, so there's a few things. So I think one is, uh, you know, they say necessity is the mother of all uh, all invention. And, um, you know, I had a restaurant. The restaurant was, was, you know, candidly just failing. And I needed to do something. And we had, you know, the way the restaurant business works, you have an expensive fixed asset that's sitting vacant most of the time. Even your successful restaurants, um, you know, you only really have one or two seatings per per day at a restaurant. So you have uh, a lot of opportunity to do different things out of your out of your restaurant kitchen. And so I started and being super busy, I started uh, really prioritizing eating healthy. And I started working with a good family friend who was a doctor, and <clears throat> I had him come up with a menu that I, of what I should eat. And then I just gave it to my chefs, and they cooked kind of to go kits for me. And, and, um, it was great. Cause all I had to do was just heat up and heat the food and eat it. And I was super busy and it made it really convenient for me to eat healthy. Cause I didn't have to really even know what I was eating. It was just all done for me. Um, 
And so fast forward, I, you know, 30 days later, I'm in the best shape of my life. I, I'd really seen a huge transformation in, in, you know, not only my weight, but just how I felt, my energy levels. Um, and people started asking me, would I do it for them? So um, we had this restaurant, it was, it was highly underutilized. Um, and we had this demand for a product that kind of came out of just me scratching my own itch. And, and that was really the innovation of, of, of Freshly um, was really just solving my problem. And it turns out a bunch of people mm. were looking for a solution to eating healthy and, and we had the capacity. And so we were able to just kind of get it going pretty quickly and um, wow. sent out a first email to about a hundred people and overnight we did $2,000 in sales. So very wow. quick, very quickly realized that, you know, kind of had landed on a, a an idea that was, was just, you know, I think the, the market timing was perfect for what we were coming up with. Mm-hmm. So that first 2000 order in sales, um, was that at the time of launch and how did delivery look like? Was that actually you guys delivering or did you have a delivery service and logistics set up at that point? Yeah, I think one of the things that we we did really well is we tested and product it to multiple different aspects of, of how we could offer this product to our customers. So when we started, uh, yeah, we did all of our own delivery and it was only in Tucson, Arizona. It was only local um, and we were delivering the food uh, at first with a small radius. And then we kind of grew that. Um, we did that delivery model for the first two and a half years. And then finally, we realized that it was going to be really, really hard for us to scale both a logistics company and a food company. Mm. Um, so we decided that we really felt our our kind of value and what we were really world-class at was around the food and the creation of the food. Um, and that we, we looked to partner with a world-class um, logistics partner to get the products to our, our consumers. Uh, so we ended up partnering with FedEx early in our journey. Um, so we kind of handed off the logistics portion and that allowed us to really scale it at another level. I think you know, one of the things, again, I always advise young founders is, is try to do less. I think one of the things, um, you know, first time founders tend to do is, is like an and, 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 and they're going to be this and this and this, and they're going to, you know, you really think about like a lot of verticalization or they'll use things like we're going to be the Amazon of this. Yeah. Um, I always remind people that Amazon went public in 97, right? Started the company in 94, went public in 97. They didn't actually do anything other than books until closer to 99, 2000, right? So they were yeah. really, really, really focused on what they did. And I think that's, that's one of the things we did is we kind of carved down and really focused on a very narrow avenue of what we were going to be world-class at. Wow. So for the listeners out there, um, are all the products shelf stable? So logistically, again, so how does shipping look like for a food service like that? Yeah, none of the products are shelf stable. They're all uh, fresh, prepared direct uh, from us, shipped to you um, with anywhere from seven day shelf life uh, all the way up to about 10 day shelf life from when you get it. Um, those products have to be maintained refrigerated. So they're all shipped under refrigerated conditions. Mm. Um, and that usually means that we have anywhere from 48 to 60 hours to get you that box and have you unbox it and, and put it in your refrigerator. So yeah, logistics is, and I think, you know, one of the things for us is, you know, when we started, there was a lot of other companies at the same stage of us, not, not doing the exact same thing, but if you think about a blue apron and hello fresh, a lot of those kind of companies were kind of growing at the same time. Mm-hmm. And we were really kind of the first pioneers of shipping refrigerated boxes to your house. Um, for a long time, um, you'd had companies um, that had been frozen boxes, but ours were refrigerated. So that's just using gel packs. So 
we kind of mm -hmm. pioneered the the space for refrigerated um, non-dry ice. So they said gel packs versus dry ice mm -hmm. um, in the space, and and really again partnered really closely with our logistics providers and how we could how we could fulfill that to our customers and make it kind of a seamless uh, seamless purchase for our customers. Amazing. So going back just slightly, then what meal options did you first launch with? So actually when we launched in 2012, we actually launched with close to, or we grew very quickly within the first year to almost 128 different options, excuse. Wow. Um, and what we quickly realized is that was just prohibitive. It was, it was impossible. We were doing all these tiny, small batches of different meals. Um, so when we looked to scale in 2015 and we really kind of simplified our offering, we actually went down to about 25 meals. Um, uh, some of the legacies that have been on our menu since day one is our chicken Parmesan, steak peppercorn, uh, turkey chili, to name a few. Um, but we really did is we focused off, uh, kind of went from a broad level of customers uh, with those 128 SKUs that we met and really focused and said, hey, let's, let's do a better job um, at a limited SKU base. Um, which by definition meant that we had to cut out some, some, you know, customers that, that we felt on day one, we couldn't meet kind of, we couldn't, we couldn't satisfy their needs. So we cut out kind of vegetarian meals. We really kept it kind of core towards paleo high protein um, product offering and really make sure that we delivered on that promise and commitment to our customers. Mm. So entering such a growing industry at the time, then uh, what were your main forms of marketing? So we also came out with the tech, we were kind of the heyday of um, direct consumer marketing through Facebook and Instagram. So obviously Facebook bought Instagram by the time, <clears throat> by the time they started putting ads on that, it was already a Facebook platform. But um, you know, I'd say in 2015, there was kind of really efficient unique economics that you can get on the Facebook and Instagram channel. Um, we did some, uh, in the early days, some Google, but it was really around Facebook, um, and Instagram and really optimizing those kind of direct performance marketing ads on those two channels. Really, it was, again, it was kind of that heyday where you could just be really efficient on both those channels. Mm. So based off of that marketing then, and then actual sales, did you ever notice a, a customer trend and what your main demographic might be? Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely honed on our, you know, as we looked at 2015 on who our core customer was, I mean, we really honed in. I mean, we're an individually portion size meal plan. So we really focused on that, I'd say, 25 to 40 year old uh, single individual, um, <clears throat> you know, living in an urban, urban populated area. So bigger cities tended to be better for us. Um, and we were looking for someone who was really busy. Um, and I'd say single, but it could be, uh, young married where we tended not to do as well as if you had a family, um, again, with single portion plans, it wasn't really designed for families, which is something we're actually moving in and targeting now. But, um, yeah, we really honed in on who that customer was and then we marketed directly to that customer. Mm, got it. So moving on to 2020, uh, I want to move into the acquisition. Nestle acquires the company exponentially, um, being in the midst of a pandemic, what was the demand like at this time for the service? Yeah, I mean, so, at, you know, as you said, Nestle acquires then in 2020 for $1.5 billion. It was a great outcome. It actually had invested in 2016 as a minority investor. So we knew them really, really well. 
Um, as we went into 2020, the business was already growing really, really fast just by itself. Um, you know, rewind here to February, March of 2020 as the pandemic started picking up. Um, you know, as you remember, there was a lot of there was a lot of concern around uh, food and grocery stores running out of food. So demand for anything food direct to the consumer just went through the roof. Um, mm. So overnight, you know, we literally got to the point we didn't have enough excess capacity that we could meet demand. We increased uh, as quickly as we could, about 20, 30 percent, literally from month to month. And then we hit kind of peak capacity. Um, the challenge was, is, as you think about some of the challenges, we had this huge amount of demand. We were trying to do the very best we could to increase capacity. But we were also, as everyone else was, we were struggling with uh, keeping businesses open. All of the challenges you had around managing um, managing and making sure that our employees were safe and, and were working in a safe environment. We were really fortunate that, that we already had kind of some best practices in place um, in that, you know, as a manufacturing facility, we had PPEs, we had a lot of things that are now kind of common terminology, but at the time we're, we're if you said PPE to someone, they wouldn't know what you were talking about, but yeah. we had a lot of things in place, um, which allowed us to kind of maintain and, and continue to scale throughout the year and, and continue to scale as we as we look at you know we're certainly not out of COVID and, and the challenges of COVID so allowing us to continue to scale even with kind of the uncertain conditions that we continue in. Mm. So I'm curious, as founder and having such a notable acquisition, then uh, what did and does it feel like in your POV to have like a company like Nestle acquire your brand that you worked on? Yeah, I mean it's so it's been a huge honor to work with Nestle. I think you know I, I'd say probably kind of, as you look at like surreal moments, I'd say probably even back in 2016 was probably the most surreal where they, they first invested. Um, mm. I think as a, as a founder, you know, it's so off your radar that the largest food company in, in the world will ever even pick up your call. So I yeah. think when the first time they pick up your call, the first time that they actually respond, the first time you meet and you fly out and meet with the team, I think that was, that was really, really exciting. I think as we continue to strengthen our relationship, um, you know, we really saw a home where we, we fit in, I think from a culture standpoint, um, from you know, the vision of, of, of what uh, Mark Schneider and Steve, who's the uh, international CEO and Steve Presley, who's the US CEO, what they're, what they're looking to build. I think we felt like it was, it was, a, it was a, a great fit for us. Um, you know, during the acquisition or I think post the acquisition, you're kind of, as a founder, you, you, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, I think probably the analogy is it's like graduating high school or college. Yeah. Um, you know, your part, part of you is really excited, happy. It's, it's the, it's the, you know, the apex of, of a lot of work and energy and effort. Um, but then part of you sad, right? You know, that there's a portion that's, that's, that's gone forever and you're going to miss that. Um, so I think it was again, very similar feelings to something you'd see like that where, you're, you know, we felt really proud. We felt proud of what we built. Uh, we felt excited on the future and the opportunities, but uh, a little sad to see that portion of our journey kind of, uh, you know, that chapter had ended. And, and so, again, kind of mixed emotions as you look at those, those, those uh, days of the final announcements. Mm, for sure. Looking at Freshly today then, uh, what would you say separates Freshly from your competitors? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing for us is that we feel really excited about the transformation that's happening in food. I think the things will, you know, our big thesis is that food is moving online. 
Um, once food moves online, um, there's a lot of benefits that can be brought to the consumer around the data, nutritional information of food. Uh, as I think, as we think about the challenges going forward around food, it's really going to be about how do you continue to offer convenience, but health and affordability, um, and, and as well as sustainability. And, and I think online is just a better way of doing that. So we're really excited that we've been a pioneer and, and a leader and kind of pushing people online. Um, certainly a lot more investment in the space, which I think is great for the consumer and also great for us. Um, you know, we look at uh, a lot more kind of challenging innovation, which requires us to, to really to continue to lead and innovate. Um, we feel great about our, our position and, and where we're going. I think we feel really good about the product and product offerings that we're able to continue to expand upon. Uh, as you look at this year alone, we've, launched, we've relaunched vegetarian meals. We now have our own plant-based protein. Uh, we've launched bulk side offering. We've got a lot more that we're going to be able to offer to consumers. So as we looked at kind of the Nestle acquisition, it allowed us to really scale a lot more, um, a lot more initiatives at the same time. So we could really meet more customers uh, mm -hmm. <clears throat> in different avenues that we can't, that we weren't previously able to meet. Wow. So I'm not sure if you have any idea on this, um, but what would you say is the top seller? What is purchased the most? What food item, if you have an Steak idea? peppercorn. It has been, it's been one of our best sellers since, I, I would guess that probably there's been a handful of weeks uh, since since it hit the menu in 2015 and it hasn't been the best seller. It's just, uh, for, for whatever reason, people <laughs> love it. Uh, it's, it's ordered by far the most. Amazing. So I like to conclude each episode with this. If you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, uh, something you've learned or regret, what would that be? Yeah, I mean, my number one advice always to any entrepreneur is um, do something you love and you're passionate about. Uh, the journey of any startup, no matter how rosy and great it looks at, like on TechCrunch or any of those other magazines, it's challenging. There's, there's great days and then there's really tough days. Um, and I think the key is, is to do something that you're really passionate and excited about because that, that keeps you coming back and keeps you excited and engaged. Um, and if you're trying to do it just because you're, you're doing it for the money or you think this is this idea is going to, you know, for some reason uh, be worth a lot. I think where I tend to find people get in trouble is that because they w when the times get tough, they just don't have that extra fuel and energy that passion brings with you. Um, so, I, again, you, there's so many areas and opportunities to stay in age to make money. Um, so, you know. I'm not saying don't go out there and want to make money and build another billion dollar business. Just make sure that you're doing it in a realm that you're also passionate about. Mm, for sure. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Freshly at Freshly.com. Hey, thanks a ton. Really appreciate the time. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.